0: His life, and even those couple months that I was in this year, were very interrupted and um, disrupted because he was going to doctors and it was hard for him to speak. And then in January 1986, he retired <coughs> to back to Boston and it ended. I was devastated. If I'd just been five years earlier, I'm not devastated by the fact that I didn't get to learn with Key Vega. I hope one day to meet him. I'm excited by his Torah, but uh, Key Vega, 200 years ago, to I'm not devastated by the fact that I didn't get to sit in front of the Ramban. I love his Torah. He haunts my consciousness. But one day, I mean, I missed him by 700 years, Mela. I missed Rabbi Soloveitchik like by five years. they five years or older. I would have sat him in his shear and got him in his prime. That haunted me. But it also drove me to try to become his Talmud. Well, how do I become a Talmud so and so more than giving shear? Well, you see, the difference between Rabbanim and Gidolim are as follows. <coughs> and Rabbi Fidman was alluding to this before. A rebbe influences Talmidim. Baruch Hashem, you have incredible rebbeim here. You will know, <coughs> meet incredible rebbeim in your future. But a god all influences multiple generations. We just, we don't didn't say it this morning, because we don't say Tachadim, so we don't say Tachadim, we don't make Yehi Ratzons after Kriya Sotara. But when we recite Yehi we talk about Talmidim and Talmidim and Talmidim. That so you can be a Talmud of someone, but some people are so large, and they cast such a deep impression that they don't just influence one generation of Talmudim, but they influence Tamid and I said, I'm not going to be a Talmud of the Rav. I was in a shir for six months, whatever, it was a very, very difficult time. But I want to be a Talmud Talmud of Rabbi Salvatr. I can't be a Talmud of Talmud of Hamsof, because it's just too remote in history. So I worked very hard and I was conscious of it when I was, as you mentioned before, spending time with Rav Arun and learning from Rav Arun. I felt that I was getting him a Sarut that went beyond him. Then when I came back to Yeshiva University and had additional talmidim, Rabbi Selvetschik, primarily of Shechter, but others as well, Rav Khan was a big influence on my life. And I remember standing at the uh, at the of Rabbi in nineteen ninety three. I took a flight to Boston. It was a whole flight that went Shark we Chicago, flight from Yeshiva University. I was we actually were very thrilled because the stewardess announced, "We welcome all the students of Rabbi Selvetschik or something." You know, they knew, they knew that we were going to some special sad event. I remember standing at the hearse. There was an actual coffin saying. You never knew me, like talking to myself, talking to Rabbi Selavajic, you never knew me, but I was one of your last Tamidim, and I make a pledge to you, Blaine or I'll try to continue being your Talmud, even though you're no longer going to be teaching me Torah frontally. Now, why am I telling this to you? Part of why I'm here today is to tell myself, this is important for me to share my Rebbe's legacy. Part of it is to inspire you. You hear any inspiration. I tell you stories about the Maharal, or stories about Ravina Ravashi. Hopefully it's inspiring your part. But you your me damn. You should see it that way. Look at Yerubayim. Look at the people in this building. Look at the people, look at your Yerubanim. Look at the general world of Yeshua University, how deeply he was influenced by Rav and his impact. He had a whole career before he went to Eretz He was the Rav Shekhtar, as it were, of the Kola. Before he made Aliyah, he was the head of the Kola. So your world is Rav Lichtenstein. You haven't met him, but you've met Talmudim me of this. And I want to help you the yard side of Shabbos, obviously you didn't know that well, it's not like all of a sudden it's going to change, but just to give you a couple ideas who he was, maybe one or two challenges. Faith is something which isn't rational. You can't prove anything. It's not cognitive. It's not scientific. At some point, you have to take a leap. At some point, you have to subject your own wisdom and your own intellect and your own free choice to someone or somebody larger than you in order to belong. It's about belonging. It's about trusting. So the big question is, how do you trust? That's a whole separate conversation because it's very hard to trust in this world because it's a world of distrust and it's a world of camouflage and it's a world of subterfuge and everything isn't really what it seems like. But when you meet people who are just so outstanding that they shatter any convention that you can even imagine and they display such excellence in so many fields that relate to Avodah Hashem and fields you never knew related to Avodah Hashem. You think Avodah Hashem is dominating and learning and stuck and all of a sudden you see this menu 20 and 30 traits about being a better human being and improving, excelling and I, I, in millions of years, if you had told me to profile someone like Rav Lichnstein, I couldn't come up with it. If you told me to profile a boy in 12th grade in TBC, or to, i can come up with a profile. i met enough boys who can put things, obviously everyone is unique and individual and special, but when someone like that walks into your life and you sense the piety, and you sense the tzitkos and, and then we once asked Rav and I remember, tell us about Rabbi Salav and Rav Lichtenstein described Rabbi Salvechik to us in the same way that we saw Rav Lichtenstein. He said, I met this person I could never have imagined. that. See, here I am receiving Torah from Rav Lichtenstein, who delivered it to me from Rav Lichtenstein. And then the Rav Aron once told us that the Rav used to tell him about Rav Chaim, his Rebbe, And the Rav told Rav Aron about Rav Chaim in the same way that I imagined Rav Lichtenstein. So then you know you're standing in some, in front of something larger than yourself. Something beyond yourself. And you know what? At that point, you don't mind giving in. You don't mind surrendering some of your autonomy and surrendering some of your choice and saying, there are people here, not just intellectual. It's not about intellect. It's about moral courage and commitment to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And you just, I call it, I coined a phrase for it because it was with me, and I think about this again and again and I rerun the narrative in my mind. I call it Voluntary coercion. You don't normally associate those two words. It's voluntary, you choose to do something, and it's coercive. Someone forces you to do something. What happens when you voluntarily want to be coerced? When you say, I've met someone that's just so stunning and so accomplished and so impressive that I want you, I want to submit some of my own autonomy and I want you to show me what what to become. And I want to abdicate some of my own free choice and free conscience." I remember someone asked me I was talking earlier this morning I just landed today so I'm rerunning a lot of my mind what, was there a moment that I remember was there one moment that changed my life with Rebbe and there's so many moments that flood through my head and this Chusta, I, I sometimes cry when I think a Baruch when I say Modem right away I say Modem and nacho, Baruch thank you for Rebbe thank you for having me meet this man and has been so much time with this man there so one moment so here's the moment Okay, I came to Yeshiva don't anyone get scared I came to Yeshiva one and done. I wanted to go for a year, go back to Brooklyn, become a dentist. The last thing on my mind was living in Eretz Yisrael. And the second last thing on my mind was becoming a Rebbe in Eretz Yisrael. Learn English, go back to college, hopefully the Mets win a World Series one day. I'll be a happy person. That's all I wanted in life. Mets win World Series, be a dentist, Everything be fine. What it was per night. Basement was packed. Revard was giving a sikha. Everything about him was long. It, it was hard and long. He, it, was, it was like an obstacle course. To listen to a Sikha, you had to strain. You had to work. I mean, even when I read his, his writings, it's why really it's so hard. They're very oblique. It's hard for people to read them. The shir was long, and the shir ended after lunch because he, he wanted to train us to work beyond our limits. Someone asked me this morning in my jet lag. I said, of course I'm exhausted. When's the last time? I said, I don't know, but I'll never let fatigue get in the way of anything because we just saw our rebbe. We saw him sleep maybe three hours a night, four hours a night. He'd walk over to the basement, or she'd fall asleep while he was talking. He's just so tired. He would land after an overnight flight from, Israel, from America back to Israel, and he wouldn't take business because he refused to take money or any services or any accommodations. And he'd land in yeshiva and give for 13 hours as a 75-year-old man. So I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Literally, I feel like he's watching. i embarrassed to give in to fatigue. And I'm embarrassed to let hunger get in the way because... We just saw this man breaking through those boundaries and teaching us to supersede whatever limitations people lazily fall into. And I, I'm not even proud of it. I mean, it's not like anything bad. Any time on Ravaram's, we take it, for granted. I was looking at him and introducing him. I can tell you didn't see him much last night. It's just we don't know another way because we're, we're challenged by, by, by Ravaram's example. So he was talking. It was a two-hour conversation, a two-hour speech. And you could hear a pin drop in the base medrash. And he got to the point where Mordechai informs Esther about the genocide. And Esther doesn't know because she's so surrounded in her insular world of comfort and mascara and luxury. She gets all she gets all scared. And Mordechai says, Please, didn't you hear what happened? And, and please speak to HaChashverash. And what does Esther say? I can't. You know, protocol and red tape. And he hasn't called me. And the, the scepter hasn't been extended to me. And find someone else. And Mordechai is a guest. He says, now I'll tell you what he says, but then I'll tell you how Rabbi Khansen phrased it. He says, if you're quiet, many, many agents and many algorithms to create redemption. You'll be swept aside into the dust history." Rabbi Khastin brought this whole story to a crescendo, in which he was play role playing Mordechai. He was making believe he was Mordechai. And he said, Mordechai told Esther, and here is the punchline. Basically, Mordecai reduced it to the following question. Do you care about Amisol or do you not care about Hamisol? Let's make a choice. Saul is about to be exterminated. You're sitting there worrying about your red tape and your bureaucracy. Make a decision. You're in or you're out. And I remember him saying the following five-word phrase. Echbat l'cha, In Hebrew, echbat means do you care? Lo echbat do you not care? And he was shouting. Rav is a very, very quiet person. You may know some Talmidim of his who are quiet. They're soft-spoken. They don't shout. They don't scream. They're genteel. There's a sneer in the way they speak. You may have met some of his Talmidim that are like that. I don't know, but maybe you have. Never raised his voice. Never heard him get angry. Never heard him scream across the hallway. There are two times that his voice changed. Actually, three times. One is, where he's the of Kibar Kibbut HaVaim is a mitzvah you cannot learn from the Shulchan Aruch. You can learn the Shulchan Aruch backwards and forwards, upside down. <laughs> I don't care how well you know the Shulchan Aruch. The gap between the abstract concepts and the challenges of actually being becoming Kibbut aim is huge. It's a grand canyon. Trust me. So much emotions and relationships and guilt. It's like a whole challenge of confusion. You have to see Kibbut HaVaim to know how to do it. Maybe some of you have seen it at home. Maybe you haven't. But if you've seen Kibut HaVayim in the flesh, then you know how to fulfill it. And if you don't, you don't. And we saw Kibbutz HaVayim. His father, unfortunately, towards the end of his life, was senile and blind. And he would walk his father through the hallways of the yeshiva, screaming each step that he took, that his father shouldn't stumble and say, Oh, gosh! He'd how many steps, there else his father would able to walk without being held. That was the only time I heard him raise his voice. You know what else I heard him raise his voice? Remember his Kriya Satara? His Brecha I don't wanna uh, my voice is going. <laughs> Screaming. You see, part of being a Gadol, I've changed my opinion in the last twenty five years. What happens is people today, every every people, lazily slide into simple definitions and stereotypes. I'm a left winger, therefore I subscribe to these views. I'm a right winger, I'm a yeki, I'm a litvak, I'm a chassid. I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a that. It's very lazy, it's very easy. It's also very mediocre, because you limit yourself. Part of what book show us is that they combine traits that we think are incongruous, and they prove to us that they can be s- synchronized. Like, I, I study a lot of non-Jewish texts, because I think it really helps me be an Ovid Hashem, and I don't have the time now to tell you why. It's a whole separate conversation. But in my heart of hearts, when I ask myself, well, a lot of firm people today, a lot of Torah people don't, and they think it's a waste of time, and it's all shvots, and... But, you know, I met a really firm person. In fact, I met the firmest person I'll ever meet. His name was Ervarin. And in his mind, it really helped him be an Oved Hashem. So I'm not trying to proselytize or preach to anyone else, but I have confidence that I can do it. I'll try my best. I'm not going to be a but I know that I met the firmest person that will ever walk this earth, and he decided that reading literature would be helpful for his Hashem, for all sorts of reasons. So for me, not for you, not for this person, I don't have to feel like, my goodness, I'm, I've got some is in toevah that, because he taught me that those two can be combined, that I can be a true, or I can try to be an Oved Hashem, and try to learn the best that people have written. Remember, when his father came to yeshiva, he told us he, his father was blind, when he, he gave a shir whether a blind person can have an aliyah, we all knew what the Moscona would be. And then he ended the shir by quoting John Milton. Why would you quote John Milton? Because John Milton wrote a poem called Samson Agonistes. John Milton went blind towards the end of his life, he was in prison, he wrote a poem about Shimson, Samson, who else went blind? Rav Aron said, I want to understand my father's blindness. I want to get into his mind space. And Rav Kahana didn't talk about blindness, quite frankly, because Rav Kahana had more important things to talk about, not that blindness is an important part. Rav Kahana spent his time plumbing the depths of Halacha. So it's not that Rav Kahana is less important than John Milton, Chas Shalom. but if I really want to understand the mindset of a blind person and I respect human beings, so let me read what human beings have written about blindness. Revarim once told me that reading literature is a Heksha mitzvah. For what? For binadam l'chamera. Because you understand relationships better, you understand emotions better, and you can be better as a husband and better as a father. For some people, it is something else. Well, it's not. I'm saying you have to. But if you feel you could be a better Ovid Hashem, and a better father, and a better person, and a better friend, and a better colleague, and a better advisor, by understanding the nature of human relationships, then read it. And if not, don't. So Revarim is very, very soft-spoken, very quiet. See, we also make these divisions in life. There are two types of Jews, right? We are the TABC, T-neck jews T-N-E-C-Jews. We're the thinkers. We read Rabbi Sachs. We read Torah Ramada. We're Isha Halacha, We're briskers. And then there are the other Jews, the mikvah dipping, tehillim chanting, gartel rapping. You know, those are the other Jews. Those Jews. They show their frumkai. They expose it. They're loud. We're quiet. They're, they're ex- we are Ravon taught us the two are the same. Who's quiet. He's no one that thought better than Ravon. Here, walked into a room, time stood still. And you can walk into the same room in Harvard at a time, but stand still there also. You're dealing with nobility of character and nobility of intellect. It's literally like an angel landed from a different planet. You just stood there and all. Literally, you froze. Your knees buckled. You felt like this is not a normal person. Where did he come from? How do you become that person? And yet he made a Burkasatara, screaming at the top of his lungs. He said Yeheshmer Abba with his full might. And and remember his haftara during a time is has and he had this heavy Litvisha accent. So when's the last time? I'm trying to give you some stories but also challenges. When's the last time you weren't afraid to show your Vodas Hashem? Not chas v'shoam in an ostentatious way. Not in a way that you're trying to show off chas v'shoam, because that's terrible when you use firm kite just to show things off. It's completely antithetical to what whatever it's ever supposed to be. And don't go down that road, because it'll end up in a very, very, very dark place. But when's the last time you felt like, I can't really do this or act this way? Because people were looking at these two firm so, I mean, of course, of course you want to share healthy religious energy. The people should look at you and find it contained. In a hell, it's hard to know when it's one when it's the other, and don't kill yourself because you're still in an age where it's hard to tell the difference. And assuming you have sincere intentions, go ahead for it. If you're just trying to be manipulative and exhibitionist, don't. But you don't know how pure am I? Okay, just do your best, and as you grow older, you'll be able to filter it better and to screen yourself better. So, here's our listen scene. He shouted, for kibbutz havaim, because it wasn't about his own kavod, and he shah, and, and he shouted when he was standing in front of a Kurdish baruch hu, and he screaming a screaming. And the third time he raised his voice when he said something moral, it's like he was possessed by a diva. It's like someone else came into his body. Yeah, I call it the moral voice. It came from his belly. Ooh, you remember that 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 surge that came from his. You see this, and, you see, and he just took over him. It was just he spoke with such I call it moral velocity. <laughs> you now these pitchers that throw a hundred miles an hour. It just felt like this moral whirlwind was coming at you and it was, was so passionate and so principled and so idealistic and so and he was just in that mode again and again and again you can hear a pin drum. and I'm sitting there and he's looking at me <laughs> and I, well, the other 499 boys in the base matters. I said okay Rabbi I give in Echbat <laughs> I don't wanna be Esther. I'm gonna to move to Israel, make Eliyahu, be a Rebbe, just stop screaming at me. Wasn't the screaming, wasn't the anger, it's just, I can't honestly stand in the place of your moral challenge and not care about it. You ever meet someone like that, that forces you to higher moral ground? That person forces me to be more honest, it forces me to be more careful, it forces me because I feel guilty enough have the conscience. I can't just quiet my conscience old enough to answer it. That person is making me an answer my conscience. So you could be the tummy the tummy damn. And then when you feel that you belong to that, that, that's belonging. That's that's where morning comes. When I close my eyes at night and I question a Kurdish which everyone does, and it's healthy too. You have know, to introduce questions, but questions come up in life. It's natural. Don't don't feel frightened if you have questions, it's totally natural. I think about Ravaran. And that's my source of faith. I think about others as well, my people my family. So you're never going to have that relationship with your iron, but you're holding on to him. You're holding on to him because you're holding on to the legs of people who are holding on to him. I'm holding on to him, you met me a couple of times. Obviously, you are a dame in a much, 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 much more thorough and comprehensive fashion. We wanted to ask for a look and say, I wanna, what, what time do we have until four one?" time still? 4.17. 4.17, okay, so maybe I'll... I'll give you two challenges and then maybe I'll give you a chance to some questions if you'd like. Um, Revar once told us to follow Here's a good challenge to say, you know, Revar's side. you heard someone come speak about him. Hopefully these things are helpful, not just to remember who he was, but to help you grow and continue to grow. He said, whenever you have a moral challenge, you don't know what to do. What do I mean a moral challenge? You feel yourself getting angry. You feel yourself getting jealous. You feel yourself getting petty. You feel yourself having a desire being dishonest, whatever temptations you go through. Ravaran told us, don't ask yourself in theory what's right and what's wrong. Because in the heat of the moment, you're under pressure. And you delude yourself, and you tell yourself stories, and you make things up, and you concoct solutions that accord with your weakness rather than face... It's hard. It's hard to face yourself honestly. So you're still growing up and one of the most underrated traits of being an Abhinashev is authenticity. Because until you have authenticity, it's hard to grow internally. You can grow on the shelves, you can take forms of your containers, but you have to know yourself and know to be honest with people. If you're not honest with people, it's hard to be honest with yourself. It's very contagious. If you're deceitful to others, you're pretty much deceitful. There's a very interesting American author called Eric Hoffer, he came along as an educator, he says, we lie loudest and then we lie to ourselves. The greatest lies when we lie to ourselves and we tell ourselves stories. You have to learn how to cut through dishonesty and cut through deceit and try to get to, who are you really? So he said, don't think about what's right or wrong. Try to find a moral role model in your life whose morality, firm firmkeit you respect. And ask yourself, how would that person act under these circumstances? It makes it more real. right? Who in, who in Chazal applied this concept? Who took whom as a moral role model and was able to overcome a moral temptation. Who are we talking about? Anyone now? Very good, Yosef. Well, who do you see? Yosef, right? So even Yosef, who you'd think would be... What's your name? Yosef. Not, not Yosef. Wow. <laughs> you think, be good if your name were Yosef. Right? Even, even Yosef, who you'd think would have the inner strength to resist, he has to look at his father. So all of a sudden, when Ravarin said that, we were all like, okay, Rebbe, you're my moral wrong. And I really do think about Ravarin all the time. Okay. Literally, uh, I remember, like, a, some of the things he taught us. Ravarova was a very, very gentle, mindly person. He was just very polite and very gentlemanly in the way he ate. That was when I cut my food. I see him cutting the food. He just cut the food very delicately. He wasn't a voracious either. He wasn't. So one of you, he was also a very humble person, and he didn't let anyone serve him. You couldn't carry his suitcases. You couldn't carry his farm. I remember once, it was the end of Shear, and we tried to grab his farm. those two big boxes, and we carried it big shots, and a big Rambam, people like simple single man, 70 years old, running up the stairs. And at the end of Shay, he said, Rabbi, let us take the Svarim. No, no, no. He refused to let himself be served as a Rebbe. And one day after Shira, we're like having a tug-of-war, trying to grab the Rambam from him. And one of the boys said, it was such a, it was such a moment. He said, Rabbi, don't you know that you're denying us of Shemosh Talmid which is a big mitzvah, to be able to be Misham Don't you know? And he looked at the Talmud and he said, I know, but I can't. I know that I'm doing the wrong thing, but it's just not in my constitution to be served. It's just the honesty, the 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 vulnerability, the not trying to be present yourself as something. It was just stunning to see that. I know that I'm depriving you, but I don't. Ha- I can't as a rabbi, I can't do that because. And I'm, he's I'm too much of an it. It's just not in my. So he would always be invited to weddings. Now, Israeli boys aren't always the most polite and considerate. Let's just say that, okay? I'm not going to go any further. Maybe so we will meet them next year. But they're not exactly the most polite. So when you invite a Rebbe to your wedding, it's always kind to find out how is he getting there, do you need a ride, can I get you a taxi? It's always a big thing. Whenever we make weddings, my kids have their robot of course, I always arrange a ride for them. Israelis don't always remember to provide that courtesy. So Rebbe never asked for a ride. He was just... He didn't have a car because he didn't want to spend these of money. He would take five buses to a wedding up north. Take a bus Yushalayim, from the gush to Yisholayim, from Yisholayim to Tel Aviv, to Tel Aviv to Haifa, Haifa to Pardeschanah, Pardeschanah, and and there's a wedding. It was, it was travesty. He'd go to door, spending hours on the bus because he's such an honor. But we all knew at the weddings that he was fair game to offer him a ride to the way back. So that's the time I got with Havara, and I always run over to him at the wedding, you have a ride, you have a ride, because he would never take a ride unless you're going that way anyway. I once discovered that he didn't have a ride home from Yeshiva and he was taking the bus every day home from Yeshiva. And he was standing in those days, Gush was like this empty, barren landscape. He was standing in the freezing, cold winter. So I once got into my car and drove by. And uh, I said, Can I take you to Yushalayim, Rebbe? He said, Are you going anyway? I said, No. So he said, I'm not taking a ride. He will not let me take him to Yushalayim. So the next day he drove by. I said, Can I take you Yushalayim? He goes, Yes, my puppy. <laughs> we lived in Baltimore. <laughs> next day he drove by. He going, Yes, my other puppy. <laughs> <laughs> third my third bubby <laughs> can't imagine how many bubbies I discovered and then I went to the office and I said, the gun on the door is standing in a freezing cold waiting for a bus and I said, can't you just send the driver so the secretary looks at me don't you think we tried <laughs> he won't take a ride I say, lie to him she looks at me, don't you think we tried <laughs> so we always, we always try to get him to come back with us after the wedding Okay, so my wife and I will be at the wedding. So, of course, you let the God sit in the front seat, right? The Shunpun in remember? Shunpun in him that was when he said something with moral gusto. He liked the word gusto. Who am I to separate a man from his wife on the night they could be together? So he insisted that he sit in the back seat. So here we are, me, my wife. And we are sitting in the back seat. To this day, I can't get into a car and in the front seat it's a sickness, I know, <laughs> but I can't. Ravaran's looking at me. He sits in the back, and I'm going to sit in the front? do say so. He sits in the back, I sit in the back. He doesn't get tired? I try not to be tired. He doesn't care about food? I try. Like, it's passion. You're embarrassed to act otherwise. Not even, you don't even get points for the Shemayin. What was I talking about? Because don't remind me. Right, so actually, so we asked Ravaran, who is your moral role model? We all expected him to say, they're up. He said Rav Aaron Soloveitchik who was his other deep, impre- deep influence on his life. Rav Aaron Soloveitchik was the Rev's brother and had this an issue also. Oh, you talk about moral indignance. Can, I can see this. He was so morally principled, Rav Aaron Soloveitchik. From what I've heard, I don't know his history, it got him into trouble a lot. He took on the Jewish mafia in Chicago, the Shemitah, and he took all the wrong sides because he had to take the right side and do the right thing. So maybe think about that. Who in your life have you met? You've got great examples here. I don't have to go very far. That you're just so impressed with their character and their midos and their Torah and their principles. could be a parent. It could be a family member. It could be one of your obeying. And you say, I'm going to start working. I'm going to start improving myself, not by thinking, how can I be a better person? But always, whenever I get to those junctures when things are hard, say, how would that person behave? It's important. That's how you succeed in life, when you meet people that live principles and ideals and they're willing to sacrifice and they're not always looking to take the easy way out and they're not artificial, they're genuine that, that's how you really grow so that's one challenge for you here's another challenge, okay <sighs> you're just so sophisticated and so smart and so noble and it's just if you ask me to devise the superman the person who just took every one trait that Hashem gave him and perfected it I would just look at Rabbi, and he opened the door to so many parts of human experience that are part of a vodas Hashem. Right? It's not just at least he taught us how much chumar you learn, how much you and how many how much you get. Taking this personality, Hashem gave you all these character traits and every aspect of human personality and relationships, and how can you make each as perfect as possible? It's just sort of like an artist sculpt and sculpt and sculpt and work and work, and it just drove us to think about how called holistic. How can it become holistic, over it, Hashem? Not just a periscope, Ovid Hashem, We're doing this well and that well. How can it touch the entirety? But here is what he also showed us, and I want you to listen really carefully to this. This is the second challenge. You see, after, let me give you a little introduction, okay? After the Holocaust, and you're not, obviously, you didn't go through the Holocaust, but you're still that generation. You're not 200 years after the Holocaust. You're still living the memory and the consciousness. It's still part of our life and our Baruch Hashem, and not Baruch Hashem, but it should be after the fact, we Hashem part of our conversation. What happened was, Hashem was very, very frightening to people because such a terrible atrocity happened. Millions of people lost their lives. I, I learned, I didn't have friendly rabbim, guys. When I was your age, my rebbe, if I didn't know the Gemara, slapped me across the face and a lot harder than I just slapped myself. He was from the old country, he was from, from Mir and Shanghai, he was an old style. I saw broken people. I saw people broken by the Holocaust. And people even didn't go through the Holocaust horrors. They were just broken by the whole experience. So what happened was, over the next 50, 60 years, slowly but surely, we changed. When I say we, I mean our community. We changed religion into becoming more user-friendly. Rebbein, the Rav, wasn't all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> if you didn't know the right answer to the Rav shear, he cursed you out in Yiddish. And don't let me tell you what he called you. <laughs> This was not, they once asked Revaran Selevagic evidently, I don't know who would ask this question, but something to the tune of, how come your brother became the Rav and you just became Ravar Something like that. I don't know who would ask that question, but something to that tune. And the Rav said, oh, it's very simple. The Revaran said, it's very simple. When our father, Moshe, would teach us Torah, if we didn't know the answer, we'd get slapped across the face. My brother told the truth, I lied. The Rav, Yosef Dov, told the truth, didn't know, got rocked in the face. He tried harder the next time. Evidently, the way of Arnold reported, he lied, I know it, and he got a free pass. Whatever. True or not, it's reflective. Sarah so Bain became more warm and fuzzy and cozy and charismatic and put my arm around you. And not only that, but religion became how can religion make my life better? So what are the words that you think about why you should be from? What have you been told at the enter this white convention, NCS white collar, the Kumsitz, What are you talking? Because it gives us purpose in life, and it gives us meaning in life, and it gives us content in life, and it gives us principle in life, and nobility, whatever, whatever phrases you want to use. All good. But there's another side to think, And listen carefully, and I'll tell you the story about Ravaran that will help you understand it. And that will be my second challenge, too. Ravaran was asked a few years before he was Nifter what he wants on his kever. What you want in your kever? If you ask me to author Ravaran's kever, I would line up the 12 stones of Gilgal and write like Joshua did. <laughs> i write the whole Torah. I mean, you can write and write and write and write and write and write and write about this man. Endlessly. He said he wants two words on the Kever, and you go to it today, it's eerie, because I remember the story, and then I visit the Kever. Like It's really like, yes, it happened. He wanted only two words. Oved Hashem. Not even Eved Hashem, because that would imply accomplishing that status. Oved Hashem means it's a process. Rav iron was just so superlative and so transcendent Use any anyway, word. michael jordan you know his nickname you guys will appreciate it. his nickname he was young he still speak to people who knew him 70 years ago 80 years ago he was actually nicknamed the babe because he had a baby face but also he was babe ruth so name was jordan like there was no you're looking so but he was an ovid hashem and to be an avod Hashem is not what it's doing for me, but I'm an eved lufnei rabbo. I'm an eved lufnei kudshibruchu. It's hard. I know it's not natural to your frequency. Frequency of living in Western countries is how does it improve me? We're very individualistic. We're very self-interested in good ways, not in self-centric ways, but in healthy ways. So we define avodas Hashem, and how is it going to make me a better husband? It'll make me a better father? It'll make me a better better, better this? As opposed to saying, I'm going to Shabbat, I'm not going to, go to It's hard. I know it's not easy. So here's my second challenge here. My first challenge is think about who can be a moral role model for you So the next time you feel petty, don't think of big th- Um Next time I face my master's wife, I'll think of Yossi. You're not going to, your master's wife isn't going to face you. Your master's, are not married. No. Next time you're petty, you want to scream at someone, you want to act, the things you go through, things that everyone goes through. I used it a lot. I, for example, when I was younger, a long, long time ago before I met- I had an anger issue. I don't think it was like, I don't know, it wasn't like going and punching through a wall. but I was get angry like I guess any young man gets angry. And I worked harder, and part of the way I worked harder is by thinking about Revaran and other people. They wouldn't scream like that. They wouldn't react like that. They wouldn't. And I worked for many, 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 many years. And by said, I don't live with anger anymore. It's not in me anymore. I worked very, very hard to explain. I get frustrated. I get nonplussed. I, I don't sit there with rage. And I it, it worked hard, and I worked hard because of these role models. So the second challenge, aside from having a role model, is the second challenge for you. When's the last time, and be honest with yourself, you did something in Avodas Hashem that was hard. And if you want to make it even more challenging in an enduring way, so this is hard for a minute, until you get past it. When's the last time you did something? And if you don't have an easy answer, it's fine. But it just may be corroborating my point that we've made religion very easy by Torah and doggies and Torah and, 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 and in great ways. I'm happy we've done it. I won't change the script because you're in a much healthier place. But we're losing something from our avodas Hashem, and we saw it. We saw the avodas Hashem in front of our eyes, and I think it grounded us. I think it created a grounding. It's not like uh, it's very very hard to be an avodas Hashem in that tone. We try our hardest, but I think it grounds us. And whenever we try to get a little too far from that, a little too into ourselves, and a little bit too into the ground. I feel a like holding me with two feet on the ground and say, don't go there. Something more authentic, You don't go to that place. And I'm trying to, and we're trying to give you a little bit of that. You're never going to have that in the way that we had that story in that movie. But you'll see it in your obey. And then once it, you process it, because consciousness is part of processing. If you're aware of it, oh start thinking about the Rebbeim you have and the Evan Hashem part that they display. Not just, how oh, it turns my Rabbanim into such great this, then. No. I just see my Rebbe serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, period. No qualifier, no adjective, <laughs> no because, no therefore, I'll tell you a story of This uh, they once asked the Kesav Sofer and then Binyamin Binyamin Shimon, I forget his name, he was, uh, he was, he was the son of Kesav Sofer the Moshe uh, Sofa, who's very ill and was young. So they gave him an extra name, Benjamin Shimon, something like that, and was hit three names, which is very rare. Anyone have three names here? Three names is a very, very rare phenomenon. It's very modern. Even two names is modern, but right, they're modern. One name. Most, most of not have one name. So two names is modern with three names. Very often, three names is indicative that someone was ill, and they added a name. Davening, for they were four. So when he was installed for his father, he was very young. So that year was a very, very Weak year financially, one suffering. So they came to the newly minted rabbi, in Pressburg, and they said, can you give us a skula that will have better parnasa next year? So he said, it's Sukkos, when you say Ana, say it with a lot of kavana. So that year during Hallel, the whole tzibur got together, Ana Hashem screaming, Ana Hashem O'Shiyona, Ana Hashem Hashina! Ana, Hashem ana Hashem And they were expecting a financial windfall, and everything fell apart. So they came back to the Ksav Sofer and they said, Rebbe, you gave us a guarantee that if we dab in anna with enough Kavana, we'll have a financially successful year. So the Sofer says, you got the wrong Anna. I didn't mean Ana shemoshiana, I meant Ana Abdu the Jebruchu. Start again. This year in Sukkot, when you say Ana Abdu the Jebruchu, say it with a lot of Kavana. So I think about that story a lot. My father told me that story. I think about that story a lot when I think about Rebbe Luchinzi. And he showed us how to say Anabdika Jabrukel. So those are my two challenges to you guys, okay? The outside is the Shabbos. I'm sure you may hear, depending on which show you're davening, someone will speak about it, we will mention it. But if you want to not just say oh, I met someone that talked about him and see or obey him in that light as well, think about, number one, who your role model is going to be in life. And you're starting out. Doesn't have to not have to come to a conclusion. That's part of growing up and meeting people. Number two is, the next time you feel a little bit tired okay, I'm not going to let it happen. I mean, it's, it's hard, but I want to do things that are hard. The next time, I don't know, I don't want to learn that much, The next time, whatever whatever could be small increments, don't always take the easy way out in life, but certainly in a voter Sashem. It's meant to be hard. Hard is good. And not only because, hard is good because it's formative, but there I am with the adjectives again. Hard is good because you're in heaven. Never does things because it's hard, and it's not natural to think those ways, but... If you start thinking that way, even in subtle manners, it creates a flexibility, and multiple frequencies, is not just when it serves your interest. Okay? So thank you for letting me speak about my Rebbe. It's good for me, because I really want to connect with him over this week as well. Okay, guys? Have a great Shabbos. Have a great Shabbos.